Join the revolution. Fuck it. The fuck it button is the power button. Everyone has a fuck it button, but no two fuck it buttons are the same. Say no to fear, overthinking, shame and judgment. Life is short. Fuck it. This podcast explores when guests have, wish they had, would and could press their fuck it button. I'm Zoe Lem and this is the Fuck It Button. Today's episode is with the fabulous James Joseph Harty, aka Dame Jane. He, they, she, found an escape in the entertaining, a need to bring joy to others, and a drive and a desire to perform that came at a young age. James discovered their alter ego, Dame Jane, after battling with a traumatic coming out and a connection to the true self as a form of expression. Dame Jane has showcased and performed on some of the biggest stages amongst some of the fabulous drag queens such as those on RuPaul's Drag Race. James is a kind soul and a giving friend and a generous and joyous performer, a successful drag queen and an all-round good round person. (laughs) Today's episode discusses grief, insecurities, creativity, coming out and letting go of that inner saboteur. Welcome to the Fuck It Button podcast, James, Dame Jane. What an intro. (laughs) Welcome. Well, it is bloody fabulous to have you on the show. How did that sound as an intro? Oh my God, I can, you can go with me to every gig. Every, I mean, just to people's houses, you can intro me in as I walk in, it'd be wonderful. And here he is. <laughs> no, it's lovely. It's, it's, a, it's a lot. It's, it's a how, lot but how me. does it sound being, because you spend quite a lot of time, um, which we'll go into, as a host and uh, of different venues and um, performances, and you're quite often introducing other drag queens. Yeah. So you're that you're that person. Uh, yeah, I'm never really introed. I suppose I never really thought about that. I do most of the gigs I do, I host. So I you are intro host. everybody, and there is that weird thing actually of even when at the end of a gig another queen might grab the mic and say thank you to me. I, I'm I'm not very comfortable with it. <laughs> well, do you know what? It's one of the one of the hardest things is actually compliments I've I've struggled with it over this time and I think we've had a bit of a chat before this and we've known each other for for a little while and I think there's quite a lot of similarities there and I think one of those that side is connected to self-worth isn't it that whole idea of receiving compliments but when you have an element of people pleasing in your nature you enjoy giving yeah you enjoy bringing joy it's quite difficult to receive yeah isn't it that's yeah, I I do find it difficult to receive compliments, and I I mean that could be taken in different ways. We have to yeah, be yeah. careful how we frame <laughs> yeah, that. I, lo- I love to I receive. I take it difficult I love to, to receive. receive. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do find it difficult to take compliments, and I don't know whether that is, as you mentioned in the intro, part of my self saboteurness part of my, um, I suffer with a lot of imposter syndrome in yep. in everything that I do, and I think that it comes from there, yep. and I and I, I overthink everything, so I think. I don't always trust a compliment. 
I, I, what, I, what do, you, do you feel like it might be loaded? I don't know, yeah, loaded or or uh, what's the ulterior motive around it? Yeah. Or do, what do they want? Yeah. Like, I think sometimes when you don't like feel so great when somebody gives you a compliment, it's like, well, why are they saying this? Yeah, yeah. What do they want from me? If you don't have that self-belief yeah. yourself, then yeah. how could someone... I mean, it's, you know, as RuPaul says, yeah. isn't it? If you can't <laughs> love yourself, how are you going to yeah. love anyone else? And I think it's so true. I think as a confident clearly outwardly confident flamboyant person character yeah people presume that that confidence is in is inside too and yeah. and i think one thing that i've worked through um is is and, and and is it hard to accept is that confidence is not the same as self-esteem no it's a very different thing people presume when you give an outwardly confident visual and um character that that means that you think lots of great things about yourself yeah. and you feel really confident inside and that's really not the same is it it quite not, often is a cover-up yeah not you know, at all the I jester think... is often a, a cover-up for other insecurities Massive, internally massively with me i think something that i've really noticed and even more with doing drag is that if i'm out in drag or if i'm out on a night out or just out and about, I do put on this armour, yeah. this shield of being this uber-confident person. Actually, at home, I like to hide under my duvet, watch Netflix, not really speak to anybody. Like, I live with the one of the most amazing people in the world. I've recently moved in with her. She's wonderful. But I find it hard because I, I'm not... I, I like to just not talk. Yeah. And then I feel really bad that I'm, like, I've hidden away in my bedroom or... Is that because you feel that there's some level of needing to keep up this front of of this this kind of personality and character that you I mean I think as personally and I say this from my own experience personally accepting that we can be that confident flamboyant person and we can be yeah. that quiet mouse the lion and the mouse yeah it, and that still can be different parts of us it's quite hard for us to accept that. And then well, I think once we accept it, we then project that confidence yeah. in both sides of us yeah. um, and become more comfortable saying, I now need some space. I'm sorry, I can't actually be out and, and perform for yeah. you to, you know, and, and sort of, you know, whether professionally or, or personally. I think it's something that actually more, more recently people are more comfortable with letting people know that they're not actually yeah. in, a, in a space where they can socialise or... Or, or talk to you and they need some time to themselves. There's um, an amazing performer here called Tolo and she posted on um, her social media. I think she'd had like a really big work week and she just posted on one of her stories. I'm not feeling very social at the minute. If, I, if you see me in the street, like, please don't come over and talk. Like, I just need a bit of space. And actually I thought that was one of the most powerful things that I'd seen in a long time because accepting that some people need their space and that you do. It's like that thing of sitting on a train. I I don't know anybody that likes to sit with people on the train. Yeah. Yeah. You are sat on the train going somewhere and someone you know will wander past and sit with you. And I think, I don't know anybody that, that likes to chat on no. a train. I mean, if you're my best, best friend, please sit with me. But it's... Or ask. Or ask. You know, it's, that's that permission to also be honest in your answer, I yeah. think, isn't it? We kind yeah. of, we're so bloody polite that it's, you kind of... I, I stopped drinking about a year ago. Yeah. And actually what I found is I feel a little bit like I'm in a movie and I've taken honesty juice. <laughs> and because I know quite often other people are shit faced and they're not going to remember what I say anyway. Yeah. I now have felt more comfortable. It's that and 
bloody two years of therapy yeah. <laughs> after add. It's not yeah, just yeah. the they're not drinking. Um, but I found I'm much more comfortable now at saying, actually, your energy's a bit much. Yeah. I'm gonna step away or I'm not in the mood for this right now. Yeah. I actually know I need to do that. And for me, that has partly come from putting some boundaries in. I've never bloody had boundaries. Yeah. I kind of I've I've uh I thought that a lot of this side of us is connected to ego. But what I realised was the lack of ego means no boundaries. Yeah. And when you're a sort of pleaser and you're kind of, it's not driven by the ego, the egoic mind, um, it means that you don't have boundaries. Yeah. And putting boundaries in is one of the most empowering things you can ever do. Bloody yeah. hard. I think what, I mean, something for me is that if I, something I find hard on, if I've been working in drag and then I've done the gig and then I go out and I'm in drag, I forget that to that, to everybody else, Dame Jane, the character that is there. And yeah. then so I, people want to dance with me and like grab me and, 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 they I, want your energy. and I'm out of, I'm in my head out of work mode. Yeah. And there's sort of a, a weird blurring of uh, boundaries between Dame Jane and James Yeah, with that. Whereas I, in my head, I've switched out of it, but actually visually and outwardly, I haven't. Yeah. And, I, I find it hard to to put boundaries in there. As the character, as the, as, as as the in, I'm out drag. I'm out now. Do I take my wig off? Will that make a difference? It's, it's yeah. it, There's a weird thing there, but I, but actually I've, I've got more boundaries and I can say to people now, can you just give me a minute? I'm yeah. just, just with my friends or I just want to go to the low. Can you leave me? Well, <laughs> that sounds ridiculous. No, it's some sort of stupid celebrity. But do you know what I mean? No, it's do that... you know what? I think that it's just <laughs> heightened, isn't it? Yeah. When you become... A, a, I'm using the word character, but it's, you know, a performer. Yeah. Um, it's it's almost like when you put yourself out there in any way, whether it's just on social media, whether it's externally in your job role or just as a person that you are quite outgoing yeah. and that sometimes you are very giving in your energy and space. And I have been. I've, I've What I've realised in going through my own journey is that for me, even just walking especially margate yeah. more than i'm i'm half margate half king's cross which couldn't be more extreme but walking down the streets i would have given away my time and my energy in a very simple way but even just going into people's spaces seeing them saying hello i realized i realized now that i've just been like sprinkling all yeah. of my magic dust everywhere and then i get back and there's nothing left for me and now I am understanding that I need to keep some for me. I've yeah. become even more of a bit of an arsehole about it. That I'm like <laughs> almost quite protective of my energy now yeah. and understanding the value in it. And and then just realizing that people, when you have a certain energy, people want in. They yeah. want to have a part of it and not in any malicious bad way, yeah. but it's attractive. It's like yeah. a magnet. And when they want to be in your space even i find if i'm out dancing and people want to be around your energy because it has a bit of a, a light around it or it might have a certain positivity around it yeah. they want to be in it and they think it's fair game and don't really think because yeah. it's not come from a bad place that that might actually not be okay yeah i mean i find it weird for me because i also at the same time do have days where I do want people in on yeah. it, so it's where where's where's that boundary? Because actually, I do I do enjoy I do enjoy giving my 
yeah. energy to people. But is that and then about the communication of it? Yeah. Is it that we is it that we need more verbalization and yeah. and permission to verbalize that actually today I feel like this. So yeah. please give me some space or today yeah. I'm going to give you all of this yeah. and, and get ready to receive, yeah. <laughs> you know, that maybe it's just the communication yeah. of that, that it's OK, however any of us feel. But actually, the more we communicate that, then actually everyone around us is aware of, of how they can interact yeah. and and kind of um, share energy or or just, you know, stick in their own yeah. little zone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I just want to say, obviously, we've gone full blast yeah. in there, and which is which is brilliant. And that this really is about a very natural chat with with people to discuss um the the how they live life and their fuck it button but but i wanted to rather than sort of go back into sort of through childhood or yeah. discuss who you what you do what i wanted to do is just discuss a bit more of who you are i think you know as human beings not human doings and you are a drag queen you perform yeah. you do lots of fabulous um shows you host and um and and as as dame jame and have created this fabulous um persona um that you step into uh for work and 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 to sort of showcase a side of you but what i wanted to just ask you a, a few questions about was just what makes you tick yeah and i think connecting to this whole idea of the fucking fuck it button fuck i can't even say it myself <laughs> <laughs> the fuck it button um it, the whole idea is is it's a permission really it's pressing yeah. that button giving ourselves permission to live life's bloody short which yeah. we know and we'll get on to um that you've got direct direct early early knowledge of an experience of that as well so tell me what brings you joy what makes you tick i i love being with my friends like i i have like a few circles of friends that i have my my bestest close ride or die friends and spending time with them is um just the most it's just magical for me um some of those i don't get to see very often they they live back in lincoln or they they live all over the country and i, and I think also since pandemic i haven't really traveled or seen them but i was back at home with one of my best friends helen this weekend and just spending that tiny amount of time with them just brought me like brought me so much joy yeah um does that recharge your energy and your spirit levels yeah um massively and i've got really close friends here as well that i I, i'm with all the time yeah which can be a lot sometimes yeah yeah you you become more like family and more like siblings really so you bicker and (laughs) yeah constantly but that that is really what makes me tick i love spending time with those people and then i've got like wider circles around that which i think my younger self struggled with to have yeah. i everyone was my friend yeah like if i'd if i'd known you for 20 years or i'd known you from one night out through work you're my friend yeah. and and I, and that to my has been to my detriment yeah I think. so you try and share but yourself now, out to all these yeah, people yeah, yeah but i think now i have i it might be like a weird thing to do but i see people in circles it doesn't mean that they're kept at that that like a weird level but i i understand where we are in our yeah where we are with each other and what i share with you isn't necessarily something that i share with yeah. this person or and i think that's been really helpful and because because people and friends is what makes me tick yeah spending time with people is well i think when you're someone that um so much of your life and lifestyle is about 
giving and about sort of sharing energy, you have to find ways to recharge. I find you have to find ways to then recharge your spirit levels and battery and an understanding. I think a lot of us go through life and actually maybe aren't completely aware of what it is that actually recharges those batteries. Yeah. It's not always resting. And I think people have never quite understand, understood that with myself. They're like, oh, you've done all of this, you now need to rest. I'm like, actually, to recharge my spirit levels and battery, like, like you, yeah. sometimes it's being around people. Sometimes it is resting. But actually, quite often, if energy is your fuel, yeah. then, then you kind of then refuel yeah. through energy. I mean, on my, I, over my birthday weekend, uh, actually, I went out quite a lot, which is tiring and is not rest at all. But I, for the first time in a long time, I'd, because me and my best friend Vic had a party and I, I was James, I'd had a full night out yeah. that had been where I'd been me, where I'd been James. And I, yeah. and, I, and I haven't had that in a long time, whether it's because I've, I was out in drag. I go, I go out and so that's my nights. I work out. So work and nights out become the same thing in drag. Um, that actually to have a full day where I'd got up in the morning, got ready, went out and, and had a full day and night out as a boy. Yeah. And I just felt so like revitalised and recharged because it, it's, I think with, with me and Dame Jane, uh, Dame Jane to me is a heightened version of myself yeah. in a wig and a dress. Yeah, it's it's the, there's, we're not two totally different people. So I think sometimes I that those lines are blurred quite a lot, and actually having time as myself out with all my friends, I felt so recharged after that. Has that made you think that that's something you need to try and factor into yeah. your life and your sort of 100%, calendar? Hundred percent. It's those those rest days which aren't necessarily being in bed Sleeping, all day, yeah. which is what I would class a rest day as. Yeah, I'll, I'll sit in bed and watch Netflix. It's actually doing things for me. Yeah, I mean, I have, I, th- I think, because of how I grew up, and I'm, I'm from working class rural background in Lincolnshire. Things like therapy and self care and, and and things like that are alien to me. Like, I've never had a massage, and and and, and people. I like, saw that you had a facial. And I had this a week. facial yesterday. How was that? Do you know what I? I didn't know what to expect and what was going to happen, and came out of it, and I was like, "Oh, this is why people do these <laughs> yeah. things. This is this is why." People How did do it make it. you feel? I just felt really like energized, like glowing is such a uh, yeah. to be like a airy fairy word, but actually, I, I, my skin wasn't just glowing, but I felt really energized and refreshed, and now I've put in. I had a meeting this morning and I'm doing this today and I'm, I'm doing an audition later and actually put all those things in and was like, felt ready to do them. Yeah. So it was just, so it was a, maybe it was time for you. So it's, it's you're putting that message out yeah. to yourself and the universe yeah. that you are worth that time and you're putting more value on it. I mean, I, I definitely carry a lot of guilt around self work and self time. Yeah. Um, I've got two kids and you know having time to yourself and 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 feeling like you're you're valued more than odd moments than actually your children is yeah. hard and i think when you when you're in a job that is about giving again it's i think you know it's that old cliche isn't it put your own life life vest on you know yeah. vest on first before you know you can't you can't be your best for anyone else unless you feel your best. Yeah. And, and actually that idea of 
giving yourself some time is maybe just a really amazing lesson for you for the future yeah. future version of, of James and Dame Jane yeah, that yeah. actually you know you can do it if you give yourself a bit of time first yeah, 100%. so so if friends bring you joy what stresses you out and brings you anxiety um I think I put a lot of pressure on myself yeah um I am constantly filled with self-doubt I overthink everything I like a lot of people I know, a lot of people my age, a lot of people in the creative industries um, who are from places like I am, we like suffer with imposter syndrome yeah. constantly. Um, and it's just about trying to find ways out of that, which is, a, a, I don't know, I don't have the skill set, the tools, the yeah. tools yeah. to be able to do that fully yet. So it's trying um, to discover what, what the, yeah, I mean, yeah. the tools to, it's, it's a, I think when you, come from an environment that is it's not a natural it's a place that you do the job that you do that you take the airspace I guess yeah. in that same way and that you're not doing a sort of hard craft physical job it's it's um you're trying to prove yourself all the time yeah. aren't you I mean I'm from the countryside I'm, yeah. I'm not I'm, you know, I've lived in London a long time but I'm not I'm from rural and yeah. I think it's the mentality of um, an upbringing. Um, if you've, if if everything in your life you've had to fight for, you value it more. Yeah. But then you have to find your way of finding your place of of um, of uh, feeling like you are worthy of of what you've created. Yeah. You know, you you've got the superpowers to create it, but then actually you need to own it. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about then that journey to Dame James. So you, how, how long ago did you step into the drag queen shoes? So uh, uh, officially doing drag, not as a full-time job, that's only starting to really come to fruition now, but I think uh, four, I think it's about four years ago, um, I wanted to start a queer night in Margate um, and then it, how it transpired was it was going to be a day party, but I wanted to host it, and I was and I thought if I'm going to host it, I'm not just going to I'm not going to stand there in my t-shirt and, and jeans and my boxer. Well, <laughs> no one wants to see that. Um, a t-shirt and jeans, and so I I was going to do drag, but even at that time I wasn't calling it drag. It was like I got my friend Siobhan to make me like a sequin, like play suit, shorts, top number. Um, my friend Jamie's makeup artist did my face, but it was still very gender bendy. Still quite a lot of experimental. James. Yeah, d I didn't didn't really have a name for what I was or a, char a character, and I was seen as as a character. And I think from my theatre background, and also a weird thing with like toxic masculinity within the gay community, is that I didn't want to say that I was a drag queen. Yeah, I was a character. <laughs> is this so? You you've drag has been more recent. Yeah. How long have you been out as a queer gay person? So as, as a gay person, I came out in my late 20s um, and it was not the nicest of experiences, but it happened. Um, I I mean, I think as a gay person, you've, all, you've always known. Well, growing up, it was it was shameful. It was 
like you could from your family or more not, the world from around the, i think from the just from the world i think i was always told i was gay before i knew what being gay was or told that i was effeminate or a sissy so it was used as a weapon it was used as a weapon yeah. i think my one of my earliest memories that i i did a uh, it was like a i can't remember what it was called but basically you could you, you were a politician you had a podium and you could talk about so you role playing um, it was it was for a, a charity i can't remember the name um and they did a a, a, a nationwide Search for it was sort of yeah, and they Margate was one of the places they did it, and so I it's called the People's Podium, and so you wrote a political speech basically as if you were the Prime Minister, and um you talked about what you would change, and it was basically like a letter to the Education uh, Secretary or thing like that, and I it made me revisit my like my childhood a bit more because I was I do a thing called Drag Queen Storytime, so that was sort of what it was about, and one of my earliest memories is my dad was a a weekend football manager and so we'd go to football and there was a man there um called terry and i remember him and he would constantly terry constantly like berate me on at from the sidelines call me sissy my auntie was that was a dad he was like he was like an older man that was at the football it was like it was like adults football and but he would call me mary my auntie was called mary so he'd call me mary like and and that feeling of shame was sort of put in me from there i didn't really fully understand what was going on but like he was a grown like a grown man probably in his like 40s yeah berating a child and 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 what did anyone around at the time did anyone around him no make any commentary not that i remember i mean i don't know what no was said in the pub or but as far as i'm aware no and so how did that make you feel I can't at the time I don't know, but it it, it, ang- it angers me now. Like yeah. to think that I mean, and adult and grown men still do do it, and and women. I'm not going to say uh, blame it on the men all the time, but it mostly is because they're vile humans. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, no, some men are wonderful, uh, but they. It I, I, it angers me that people can make children feel like that. What what impact did that have on you? P- I mean, like Terry and people like I Terry mean, to, talking to you like massively, that. I didn't, was this pre you coming out? Yeah, yeah. I was a child. I was in my probably like five or six. Oh, blind. And okay. yeah, so really young. Really and young. I think it it yeah, that's really I think like when you're when you're told so much that you are that you are something and then you battle against it you start to like create a truth that isn't your actual truth. No, the storytelling of our lives is yeah. is often so I, until the, in my twenties was living as a, as a straight man. Yeah. Like, and was obviously very, obviously camp, uh, like, I'm, I'm gay. Like, yeah. Um, and I think it's really damaging to the point that I was uh, out, when I was living in London, was out all weekend, self-medicating in really dangerous situations, uh, taking loads of drugs, drinking loads, and it made me ill. Like, and so this was escaping people like Terry and this rhetoric that was told you rather than it being embraced and you being able to discover who you were yeah. naturally. How, from at home, was it, was, was, was it an environment that you felt that you could embrace that side or? I mean, look, my, my family are incredible and they're wonderful, uh, but it's just something that was never, it was the nineties. Yeah. Like 
wasn't something that was being discussed in a village in Lincolnshire. No. Well, to be honest with you, I worked, I worked as a stylist in the late 90s and used to dress a lot of the boy bands and girl bands. And even then, there was no social media and boy bands weren't. Yeah. It, it wasn't okay for them to be out as gay for whatever yeah. reason at well, the I mean, time. For, the whole, for their whole marketing is that all loads of girls it's all fancied squeaky them clean. Bought. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, so many of the boy bands have obviously latterly yeah. come out and, and, you know, like Duncan from Blue. I worked with him at the time in the band when he was a straight man and, 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 yeah. and actually since um, as he's felt free and able to, to come out as a lot of them. Yeah. So it is a different time, but I think... Some of the the storylines within this for other people that are maybe even now like sort of still battling with who they are. It's yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? Because it's we get a storyline externally from other people of who they think we are. And for me, I've been told I'm crazy, impulsive, wild, this, that, whatever. My whole life, yeah. I'm just going through the process with ADHD, yeah. and I'm like, oh. So actually, maybe I'm not those things. That's what people are telling me. You believe that and then you punish yourself and feel guilty and feel like this person that's a bit stupid or yeah. maybe a bit. And actually, for me on this journey of listening to a lot of um, audiobooks and podcasts from the the three million gurus with different perspectives. And actually, it's been validation rather than enlightenment. of like, Oh, I think that all that like that yeah. already. And actually, maybe that's OK. Yeah, I think that we as you say, play a certain storyline in our heads that that until we sort of stop and reflect, don't really necessarily yeah. know is maybe not our truth. Yeah. So if if it was okay from your home life, tell me tell me a little bit more then of of the lead up to that. You said at sort of young age you you had this external storyline from the Terries of the world. Yeah. How how was that period of time for you then? If you were living, if you knew sort of subconsciously that you were um, a gay yeah, yeah. Uh, person, um, but 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 hid that because of um, not feeling able to to step into those shoes. Tell me a little bit more of the impact of that period on on who you are now. What you know, f- family life. Were your um, so your parents at the time were supportive of you as a person hugely but... supportive of me i mean my my dad um was a like a, a man like he uh was a football manager and he had a, like a there's a, a lot of masculinity yeah there's lots of masculinity and but he was the one that was driving me to youth theater every saturday and to the amateur dramatics society to do oliver and the sound of music like he was the so supportive um and just I, d- I just don't even think that in their toolkit or how they've been brought up or the time that it was that actually that me being gay was anything that they'd have been able to to deal with yeah or i mean i i know parents of queer children and they're like we all i i always knew so i think like they probably did know yeah but also it wasn't didn't have so, the language or the, the language or to... didn't or just they also they weren't able they weren't strong enough yeah. to actually have have that be a thing yeah um i've found with doing drag queen story time and this is the reason why i, I do it isn't so that as some people think it's trying to indoctrinate kids into the lgbt community or it's to just teach acceptance and to yeah. let 
parents actually first and foremost know that it's okay yeah <laughs> like there are lots of people in the world that are different to yeah. your norm and that is okay and it's not weird no and and you can deal with it because you probably have to deal with a lot more stuff that's worse yeah than having a, a a kid that fancies people of the same sex yeah um i think it was john bishop i've re-saw the quote recently that was uh, he was asked about his gay son and he was like first and foremost that he's my child him being gay is nothing yeah, it's not, not even not, a secondary it's a, no 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 like, that's, that's my the... child are they happy are they healthy great well it, it brings you back down to sort of the foundations of what's important doesn't it i mean i think this is this is the whole point with the fuck it button yeah is life short fuck it yeah. <laughs> and i know you've gone through sort of similar early early trauma to me i lost my brother when i was 14 yeah. you had quite a big loss yeah. At 13, that, that's had a massive impact. Yeah, I mean, my, so it was two days before my um, 13th birthday. My dad um, died quite suddenly um, with a heart attack. Um, and you don't really... Do, uh, when you lose some like a parent as a child, I think you it doesn't really compute. Like, you don't deal with it. Nothing's prepared you, you for nothing it. Nothing prepares you for it, and you don't... You're, no matter what you do, you're not really dealing with it. No. Because you don't have, again, the toolkit there. Or, I mean, we went to, we were sent to, like, counselling. Yeah. I sat and made mosaics with a woman. Oh, I mean, for I, an was, hour. I was, <laughs> I, went, I went through some ang- angry early counselling <laughs> yeah. as a 14-year-old. It's You're not ready for it either. I think there's a, there's a pro, I think, you know, and again, it's, it's not, the fault of anyone around that it's again the the toolkit that we're or the education yeah. around a lot of this isn't it? the support and yeah. and you know when something like happens your mother is going through a horrendous yeah. loss and as a child you're you're worrying about the other parent as well as your own grief likewise yeah. for me as a 14 year old girl your parents have lost a child and everyone, the outside conversation is, oh, how is your mum? Must be terrible. Yeah. And rarely do they say, how are you? Yeah. And I'm sure for you, when you lose a father, quite often it's, must be terrible for your mum. It's, yeah. it's, you then go into a role of trying to support those around you yeah. and almost protect your own grief. I mean, I had, a, yeah, 100%. But I, and also had a weird time in that my first year of school, didn't really have a lot of friends and was like mildly bullied, nothing physical, obviously mental. I was an effeminate kid. Um, and my dad died, I think it was like the day we were due to go back to school after the summer holidays or it was it was that week. So obviously we didn't go back. Then I went back to school and suddenly- You're a person without wanted to talk to me and people like, people wanted to hang out with me at lunchtime, but it, it, it didn't feel real. No. Well, their intentions, were, their intentions yeah. were there, but obviously everyone had been prepared, told that this was happening. And, and so this sort of forced, not forced friendship, but just a weird time, which, oh, I mean, look, if I was a teacher and a kid in my forms, parent had died, I wouldn't know what to do. No. But also it's, it happens. Yeah, yeah. So we need to, I think there needs to be some talk around that, about what happens when that. Well, the whole idea <laughs> of like, the whole, yeah, the whole life and, and death. It's definitely not anything. That, I mean, this is the thing with, with education, isn't it? We're kind of taught how to do very complicated algebra, yeah. <laughs> science and experiments we might never use. But some of the life stuff yeah. um, 
isn't always there, is it? And, no. and I had the opposite. I people ignored me. I yeah. went back and and no one knew what to say. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, then you know I was fourteen, and you kind of go back into sort of trying to escape, and that's sort of when you're getting into that place of starting to maybe go out and drinking and yeah. and you kind of then just hide it and you and you you find yourself trying to make it okay for everyone else. Yeah. I mean I think as a person yourself that's already I mean do you think some of this latter sort of trying to make everyone okay and pleasing comes from any of that period of trying to make things okay for your mum maybe and then also we try and make I mean I found myself trying to make it easy for these people I didn't know very well yeah. that felt uncomfortable about talking about death to make their life easy. I'm like, this is, now when I look yeah. back, I'm like, this is madness. You're a young person trying to deal with grief yeah. and you're trying to make it okay for everyone else so it's not difficult. Yeah, constantly. And I, I think I did do a lot about that. A lot, a lot of things like that. I think when, if, if I, it's that thing of if, if I know somebody and a, and a relative or a dog has died, they go, oh, okay. Or, or they, or people might assume that I know how to deal with it actually. Yeah. Um, and then I'll, oh yeah, talk to me, but actually I don't really want to talk to you. And I think later in life, I had, and it sounds woe is me, but my dad <laughs> died. My grandparent, all three grandparents died pretty soon after that. Yeah. And my cousin was killed by a drunk driver and I, he was like 23. And I think I had quite a lot of death yeah. in and bereavement in very early sort of forming years of my life that when now, I mean, this might make me sound absolutely horrendous but if somebody comes to me and their 90 year old grandparents died or their goldfish has died i i really struggle <laughs> no i'm to I, find I, I, I am or, totally yeah. there with you i think i mean one there's nothing like a bit of nice early trauma to yeah. pain. <laughs> and do you know what i i really do think that um as a mother now i'm so, so conscious of this whole idea of protect you want to protect your children yeah but in protecting them you are reducing their resilience and for me, that bit of early trauma was horrendous and I would absolutely bring my brother back rather than yeah. go through it. But it has made me who I am. Yeah. And I think it does up your levels of what you can cope with. Yeah. And and so then I've been bankrupt since then. I've had a few, you know, as you, like, yeah, then you have yeah, other yeah. things. And my point of view, even as a stylist, was always, right, I've dressed 100 people on a Robbie Williams video. So now doing 30 is a piece of piss. Yeah, yeah, and doing yeah. 10s, <laughs> bloody, I can do standing in my head. Yeah. And you want me to just dress one person? Well, Jesus Christ. I'm yeah. like, you know, close my eyes. Yeah, yeah. But I think with, with trauma and grief and um, hardship, you know, for me, going bankrupt, it's money. Yeah. It's like no one's died. Yeah. It's never as bad as losing my brother. Yeah. So I think your levels are pitched quite yeah. high from early on. When you have something so life-changing yeah. happen, it does make you quite resilient. But as you say, the flip side of that is it can make you almost a bit colder to other, yeah. to sort of lesser traumas. Or or I get quite frustrated when people struggle with things. I'm like, how are you finding that difficult? But what I've tried to understand and realise, and especially even with with the children it's relative yeah and it's if that's the worst thing that's happened to you that will seem as bad as losing your brother yeah because you don't know any different yeah and i think this is my sort of latter yeah. learning and trying to change mindset yeah. is it's about relativity isn't it yeah. and it's like if if to someone that's the worst thing that's ever happened to them yeah they've not they've not got any other barometer so yeah. it definitely 
puts you in a place of being quite strong and resilient. Now, do you think that resilience that you kind of build up through that trauma and that early um, experience then can lead to putting up some barriers and and creating a bit of a wall yeah. around you in a way because of that? Yeah, I mean, I think that actually for probably from the age of 16, it's probably my, until I came out really, like I was probably not a very nice person and or came across as not a very nice person. Like I've always had my closest friends, but then that was like, that's all I need. Yeah. And I, and uh, I don't care if you think I'm a cunt. I don't like, I don't, I, I'm, I, you mean nothing. Do you know like that sort of yeah. attitude? Yeah. And I think I've, throughout those years, especially put up huge barriers. And mostly I think because I didn't want to be let down by anybody. Yeah. I didn't want to let people in and then them disappear from my life. Um, and I've only really started to like come out of that a bit more. Um, maybe having Dame Jane is great because I can have a bit of that. Some where, release. Some release, but also can not, because this is where I think a lot of drag queens get it wrong. They think they're in drag and they can say what they want and do what they want and there's no ramifications. Yeah. But I think there is that sort of level of it, which is like, yeah. I can have that bit of cuntiness still. Yeah. There. But you and put it in a pot. it means that it's not, it doesn't seep so much into my everyday life anymore. No. And I so am, you found think I'm a... a little bit more likeable. <laughs> Oh, you are very likable. I mean, I can, I can uh, concur that this is a likable person, and this is why you are in this room right now. But I think, but I, I think it's interesting. I think we do create, even if it's, it's not quite so literal as creating a, a character or a performance character like you have. I think when we have things that happen to us and we try to put areas of our life into boxes, we that the great. Thing, thing for you is it's quite literal yeah. you've got an outfit on yeah. and people can see that's that other person yeah. but I think for a lot of people they do that without the character that they create another version of themselves yeah. that that as you say the sort of colder version and it's, it's as we were talking in the very beginning of sometimes you want to be this theatrical performing person that's sharing energy and laughing and sometimes you want to be a mouse under the covers yeah. watching Netflix and I think the more we can understand of each other that there's more than one side. People, yeah. I was listening to something recently and it was saying, there is no such thing as a positive person, a grumpy person, an angry person. We all have all of those emotions. Yeah. Emotions exist in, all of the emotions exist in all of us. It's how long you hang on to them. And unfortunately, some people, and I have some close to me, <laughs> <laughs> that that hang on to some of those negative sides a little bit longer. Yeah. Um, I also heard something saying that, Emotions only last something like, scientifically, 30 seconds to a minute or something like that. Children, this is why they change mood so yeah. quickly, they let them go. But as adults, we cling on. And it's the not the emotion that's lasting. It's our attachment to it yeah. and how we behave around that emotion that lasts. Yeah, so people being stubborn or, or having grudges for years is nothing to do with the emotion of anger or sadness. Yeah. It's the attachment you've made with that and how you've turned it into something else. But I mean, I caught myself doing it the other day. Yeah. I went for coffee with my mum and sister and I, I mean, it must be to do with where I am on 
the spectrum or I need to sort of sort all this stuff out with ADHD. <laughs> We've talked a bit about, about the ADHD. I mean, yeah, I think a lot that, of creatives are and it's a journey yeah. that helps a lot of enlightenment has for me. For we were sure. going for coffee and in and the plan was we were going to go to Superdrug and I was going to buy some makeup and then we were going to go for a coffee. There are other brands. Reason, there are other brands. <laughs> I'm joking. Use whatever you want, but Superdrug, if you'd like to sponsor, that'd be great. Um, they, um, so because the, the routine changed and we were going for coffee first, I got in a. I was in a foul mood, like a like a petulant child, and I. <laughs> but and I, and I sat there, and then they were like, "What's wrong?" And I was like, "Well, I'm not hungry. I'm not hungry yet because I thought we were going to have eaten." I thought, and 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 I caught myself, yeah, being really unreasonable and holding on to to that. And yeah. then I sat there for a minute, and I actually managed to sort of in my head internally talk myself out of it. So I was like, this is you're being ridiculous. Yeah. Like, you, you're going to go to the shop. But it was because I wanted to eat a brunch and I wasn't paying for it. <laughs> <laughs> now it comes out. No, but it's, it is that thing of, of and, and you're right, holding on to it. And sometimes we aren't able to let go of it because it's it actually in that moment means everything. Yeah. But it'd be great if we could. Well, I think what, one thing I'm just becoming more, well more and more aware of and connected to I guess and especially through my own journey but also having children and really understanding the impacts for them I'm like each time anything happens you're like god am I creating future therapy for these children <laughs> I'm like god when they were freaking out I said I had a massive meltdown last night told me he hated me and I'm the worst mother ever yeah. had a proper Kevin moment um but I think it's it, it's mindset the, the whole thing with fuck it button and anything else for me, it's about mindset. And I now do quite a lot of mindset coaching because you can be in a square box room and stuck there for days. Yeah. In your head, if you're thinking a certain way, you can have the nicest experience. It can be yeah. the most fabulous time because you might have gone on a little journey in your head. You might be thinking about something, something else. And I, or another person could be in that room and they feel like they've been, had their sort of legs cut off. They feel like they've been restricted. They're having these feelings of claustrophobia. All of these are feelings and emotions they're attaching to it. That the situation is no different. Yeah. But the mindset connected to it. And when I talk, it my husband like drives him a bit mad. He's like, not everyone can be as positive as you are. Yeah. I'm like, it's it's not really even about positivity. And you know, sometimes we. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen the movie Trolls. We went as a family. It was a few years ago. But there's there's the main girl who is pink and she pretty much farts, glitter and shits cupcakes. She's like pink and it's all fabulous. (laughs) Everything's amazing. And then there's another character called Branch, I think, who is grey and has had all the positive giant. He's so cynical. so And everything's terrible. And when we went as a family, it's like, Oh, I wonder who this one reminds me of. <laughs> like the kids looking yeah, over at me yeah, and then yeah. there's me and my daughter and then husband and son. And it's, we're not in a different circumstance, but we're just seeing it differently. Yeah. And it's not always about seeing the positivity. Sometimes it's seeing the possibility. Yeah. And I think it's not, you don't always have to be happy. No. But the example you've just given of changing your own mindset, it's being aware that you have the power to change your mindset. Yeah. And I but, think... Yeah, but I haven't always, but I... I'm in a privileged position where I can see, I could see that happening in my the other day, and then could get myself out of it. But I've been in times before where I've 
haven't been able to get out of bed for a week yeah and and everybody can tell me that it, that you're you can think positively or like yeah, yeah. loved or, and actually if, if you yeah, but that's your if your mindset's yeah, not in that yeah, place and you if can't. you don't and if you don't have the tools to deal with it no like you it's awful um and i think especially now like i'm seeing all over my social media and actually with close family and friends um suicide rates are going up uh people are really really struggling at the moment yeah. and, and, and I, I just think i don't know how as a country we get better at um talking about our feelings and letting people know because um everyone would much rather have you here than not yeah but it's we don't have the we don't have the tools to deal with that we don't and again it's something that's maybe not taught enough through yeah. schooling and the life skills yeah. i think it's this is what i'm saying it's not about thinking positively because yeah. the idea of telling someone that's in the most dire situation yeah. in their own mind no matter yeah, what yeah, yeah, physically yeah. that things are going to be okay think positively see the positives of yeah. course they're not going to be able to do that and they're no, going to tell no, you no, no. bugger off it's yeah. like really <laughs> i'm actually at about to yeah, step over the, the cliff like yeah. don't tell me to think positively but as you say it's more the tools to to know that you can turn your mindset around it's not necessarily turn it around to a positive place yes. but sometimes it's actually just being able to appreciate yeah how much we control our own minds and 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 you know if you kind of go with it and sit in a certain place that's where we can stick for a long time so yeah. i just want to move now on yeah. to talking about your fuck it button <laughs> <laughs> so the idea of the fuck it button is not always about big dramatic situations it's not always mega life changing sometimes it is literally you're under the covers and can't get out of bed yeah. And, and some people might need it to literally press their fuck it button and go into take a shower yeah, and to maybe step outside. And it might be small moments, a bit like the Mel Robbins 54321, just do it, press that button and do it. Or it might be massive. Yeah. So tell me, James, what's your first, your earliest memory of whether you realised it at the time or not, pressing yeah. your fuck it button? Um, and you said no to fear and overthinking. Uh, do you know this? I mean, it it might. Yeah, I think this is fucking boring. When I where I grew up and when I who I grew up around, like you went to there was like two secondary schools you'd go to, um, and then from the secondary school I went to, you'd go to this college, or if you went to this secondary school, you'd do sixth form there. And and I uh, so I went to one school, and then everybody from my school went to the same sixth form college. Or actually, there was another one where they did like building and plumbing and stuff I wasn't it was a few I was, that no. wasn't actually for me <laughs> um, but I would like to marry a scaffolder so oh, really? I should have gone and done that but I uh... <laughs> that might have been the place <laughs> scaffolders top tier tradesmen <laughs> um, I yeah so they all went to the same college in Scunthorpe and I uh, wanted to do performing arts and Lincoln College performing arts was like amazing and I was like I'm going to apply to that and I think my mum was probably quite worried at the time because, like... You pressed your what, fuck it button. What's a career in performing arts going to do? <laughs> Look at me now! <laughs> <laughs> but, um, hey, mum! <laughs> but no, um, yeah, and I think that probably was. All my friends were going off to do A-levels at Sitzel College yeah. and I went and did a BTEC so performing your arts. Guts. And I did trust my gut. And I remember going to the audition. We had to audition to be in there and I remember sitting in the back of the car while my mum, and I think my stepdad... Uh, drove it's one of my stepdad I think drove me I remember like learning my lines basically in the back of the car it was a speech I'd done at um, for one of my G's for a GCSE drama so I sort of knew it 
but did it and then got in and it was I think that was my uh, probably my earliest memory and then deciding to go as well yeah because I got into do sixth form to do A levels um but yeah that's probably my earliest so you memory. trusted your intuition yeah. and you had the self-belief that on whatever level you could do it and if you couldn't fuck it yeah you were going to give it yeah, a go yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this is for me the 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 biggest side of this whole um concept of the fuck it button this has come the fuck it button is the result of me going on a on a sort of personal journey I guess of of discovering all of the the other ideologies around I guess finding purpose and and um and connecting more with yourself and I think really um as a tool for any children or adults trusting your gut yeah. is is never it's we're never told to do that no. and i if i think back personally when things go wrong is when i look outside and i don't trust my gut yeah. if i trust my gut and go with what i used to think i was impulsive but i realized i just had a really good connection with my gut and i trusted it so i yeah. think it's a per that's a perfect fuck it button moment because it's it's it was life changing yeah in that you then followed the direction that you believed was right for you rather than following what everyone else is doing yeah. and i think i've got a tattoo on my ankle now at the age of 46 i started <laughs> having tattoos much to my children's dismay they now think i'm going to be a shaved head tattoo person <laughs> whatever that might be but i've got my mantras uh written by family members um all over me and one of the ones i have on my ankle is written by my mum and it's roots and wings and the idea that we sort of focus more on creating a safe place, but the freedom to fly and do your own thing. Yeah. That, that's the biggest gift I feel I got from my parents was, I guess, it wasn't that they necessarily agreed like you, going off to do creative things. <laughs> like I kind of ignored everything and went off and did a fashion degree in London and kind of did exactly the same. No, you can't do. When someone says no for me, that's like, yeah. oh, I'll challenge you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go on then. Um, it sounds like a challenge. But I think that whole idea of feeling like you have this, the, you know, you thankfully were in an environment with your yeah. family. And I guess some people might be in a situation where that kind of would just wouldn't be a possibility. Yeah, of course. My daughter has a friend that has, has very strict parents and their friendship is slightly prohibited by the restrictions yeah. the friend has on on um from her parents and i think that in itself is an amazing gift and privilege but i think for you as a young person having that real closeness to your own guts yeah that is what has led to you where you are now yeah from my I view mean, yeah. externally i've constantly i think when i you just talking and thinking back over actually most of my life decisions in the past 10 years moving to london and then moving to Margate, but before moving to Margate, we well, had loads of shit going on in London, and yeah. and uh, and actually, I moved. Oh, if we're going back on it, like from going to uni onwards, every decision I've made and where I've moved, I've actually fucked it up. Like I've gone right, I'm going to go do this, I'm gonna yeah. do it, and it's mostly been financial um, or health wise, um, and fucked it up. But actually, have my family are amazing. They're not like. <laughs> They're not loaded. They're not no, no. like well off, but I've fucked up stuff financially, and they've been able to like help me out, or, if, or, they've, or they've been there, just there for me. So if I've, I've needed to move home and recharge for six months, yeah, because I've, I, I, as I say, I've fucked up. But actually, but all these but the things idea of forms, fucking up, yeah, is more 
the idea that maybe the decision you've made hasn't led to your idea of where it should have yeah. gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you learn. Yeah, and actually have have massively learned, and with without that their support wouldn't, and I wouldn't be in Margate now doing what I'm doing. I moved to Margate because I was offered a job at Dreamland when they first relaunched, but Margate was. I mean, this was nearly eight years ago, and Margate was a very, very different place <laughs> yeah. eight years ago. But I loved it because I felt like I got off. I came from my interview and I got off the train and I felt like. I was in New Cross, where I was living at the time, but also back in Scunthorpe, and had this like weird. I was like, this place feels, yeah, great. Like, like I feel at home here. Yeah. And then I thought, well, I, don't, I hadn't Margate heard about magic. the job. Hadn't heard about the job, and I was like, well, just maybe, I, maybe I can move to Margate, even if I don't get the job. Did get the job, was here. A couple of years later, was made redundant by Dreamland. But actually, all those things have been lead up to what I'm doing now, which is back being a performer which is what I'd always wanted to do and having a like bloody wonderful time. Well, everything happens for a reason, yeah. doesn't it? And I think that one of the things, one of the biggest lessons really is, you know, focusing on the journey, not the destination. And, and you know, generally people regret the things they don't do, not the things yeah. they do, as long as you are open to learning along the way. So tell me, so that was your earliest memory of yeah. Fuck It Button. When, when do you... Um, so you, the earliest, when's the most recent? When recently has been a big fuck it, fuck it button you, moment for you? Do you know what? Yes, today. So I, I'd sort of been offered an audition for something, but needed to apply like everybody else. Uh, and I have put it off. I put it, I've put it off, put it off, put it off. Because uh, it's, a, it's a singing role in the show. And I love singing. Like I... Singing brings me so much joy, but I'm not... I did do musical theatre at uni, but I'm not, like, West End trained, da-da-da. And so... But for the application, you have to film yourself singing. And I... The thought of recording myself and seeing it back or, like... Or or hearing myself back, I hate it. And I know I'm not terrible. I'm actually all right. And I... The thought of doing that, it's really, really made me panic... And it's that imposter syndrome again, self-saboteur, da, da, da. but the deadline's today. And you know, what? I went to bed last night and I was like, right, I'm going to get up in the morning. And you did and it. I'm going to do it. Haven't done it yet, but I'm going to go do it. Okay. Straight. No, no, straight after this. Great. Straight after this, I'm going to go. Right, people, we are going to hold you him. Hold me to that. Hold it to fuck it. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, you know, I think one thing, again, I listened to recently, I listened to so much, was get, if you are comfortable with the unknown, that's when change happens. Yeah. And I think I'm really bloody comfortable. I'm too comfortable with the unknown. And that's why it's allowing things to happen. And I think that is, again, the mindset thing. My son and daughter have a very similar life. Yeah. One is closed to opportunity and one is open to it. And he thinks that she's lucky. It's not luck. It's the mindset of being yeah. open to things coming along. Um, I mean, for you, you're talking about the sort of stepping into confidence you host a lot as a drag queen yeah. and you have a lot of the drag race um drag yeah. queens on and you are you said before you'd not been introduced and this yeah. idea of sort of the compliments and <laughs> do you do you see yourself in that role it's like being a part of a band or stepping in as a solo artist yeah i think so do, is do you feel that the idea of maybe even with this role or stepping into the shoes of actually you're the one you're the one that might be on Drag Race or you're yeah, the yeah. one that could be that person rather than you're a facilitator of other people's... I mean, I love hyping people up. Like, yeah. I 
I get loads of joy from it. Yeah. Like I through I host a night every Tuesday in Canterbury, and there's a lot of younger queens that come through, and actually to see to like hype them up before their performance and like see them grow and like flourish and blossom on that stage. Yeah. Like brings me loads so much joy. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'd love to be on Drag Race and love to be the person that is being brought onto the stage, being paid five grand now. <laughs> the, I mean, money is important, but actually not important. That important for me. It's no. like I yeah, I'd love I'd love to do that and and be that person. But also, I'm really happy hyping people up. Yeah. Well, do you know what? It's like the giving presence and receiving, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, you know, it's actually enjoying the process and seeing it's, it's that sort of nurture and mentoring side, yeah. isn't it? Of like sort of, you know, bringing bringing someone else up rather than it just be about yourself. And is there is there a, a situation or moment that you wish you could or would like to press your fuck it button, whether it's past, present or future? I think like if it was like safe to do so at the time or like as, as like a, a teenager or I felt I was in a different society I'd love to have been able to come out as a as a teenager and like experience those or like for everyone to come out when they're young yeah. because to experience those like formative relationships you have with people like to to live your like truest self as a kid I think he's like an absolute gift and I think for for queer people, you don't have that, which I think is why like a lot of queer people have this like Peter Pan syndrome of when they're later in life, they're still very young and they people might think they're quite immature, but actually you didn't get to have a, yeah. a, a proper childhood. And I, I, so I kind of wished, well, no, kind of, I wish that I was able to be my truest self from, like, earlier. Life, from an earlier age. Um, but yeah, I, I also understand about the semantics around that and how... What it was. Yeah, but it can mean you know, it. And what does the what in these moments that you're aware now that you you know you are sort of pressing that button? What is that feeling? What does it make you feel like? Like the you know the moment as you say that you stepped into your own shoes and pre- applied for um, doing drama. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. The, What what does what does pressing your fuck it button feel like? It's just no better feeling, is that? It's no. like it's it's like pure joy. Yeah. That. I, I, I think only you can understand because there's been moments where I've done it and it's to me it's like a huge thing and then but to everyone around you I think maybe because they see you in that light or see that you mm. it's not it's like so like, yeah well done yeah it's, yeah but it's like actually it, it can be it's quite a big thing yeah um and so yeah it's just it's pure joy and I just it's like letting go yeah. of the parachute it is it? yeah it's, yeah it is literally a sense of I mean I would say that the fuck it button is you can have the intention but it's the action. It's yeah. like doing your recording after this. It's yeah. the action that then creates the impact. Yeah. And the impact of the fuck it button is 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 on you. But then because of the joy it brings you, that then impacts everyone else. Well, I just want to ask you as a bit of a new closing tradition, yeah. um, what would be the piece of advice you would give to our next guest of how to press your fuck it button and what that might mean to them. Okay, so what I would say is that if you are in a place where you feel loved and that is like loving yourself and like with uh, and, and with people around you that you trust uh, and if you feel safe to do so, I think that's really important for, for, for me, especially if someone from like the queer community um, 
there's loads of times where you want to press your fucking button, but actually you might not be in the right environment. You might not be safe, and I think that is first and foremost the most important thing. If you if you if you feel safe and you are loved, press it because you will feel endless joy. Oh, that is a <laughs> fabulous way to end, and I think there's a lot of learnings in that. And obviously, from all of us, we've got our journey, yeah. and there's lots of different routes that people might connect, whether it's through um sexuality the adhd the grief but i think the bottom line is is you know the more we can have a closer connection to who we are the sort of something that kind of i've thought about even from when we talked before this interview that sort of level of having that honesty with yourself that allows you to have the honesty externally yeah. will then bring you to that safe place that will then allow you to take steps and, and move forward so James, Dame James, thank you so thank much you. for today. <laughs> and uh, I look forward to seeing when you next press your fuck it button. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thanks for listening. We hope that some of what you've heard today has inspired you to live in the present. Focus on joy and know that you only have one life. So fuck it. Press your fuck it button and join the revolution. <laughs>